Our second lesson is taken also from the Old Testament, from the book of the prophet Daniel, the sixth chapter. Let me read these words from the Living Bible. Darius divided the kingdom into 120 provinces, each under a governor. The governors were accountable to three presidents, Daniel was one of them, so that the king could administer the kingdom more efficiently. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other presidents and governors, for he had great ability, and the king began to think of placing him over the entire empire as his administrative officer. This made the other presidents and governors jealous, and they began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his affairs so that they could complain to the king about him. But they couldn't find anything to criticize. He was faithful and honest and made no mistakes, so they concluded our only chance is his religion. They decided to go to the king and say, King Darius, live forever. We presidents, governors, counselors, and deputies have unanimously decided that you should make a law irrevocable under any circumstance that for the next 30 days anyone who asks a favor of God or man except from you, your majesty, shall be thrown to the lions. Your majesty, we request your signature on this law. Sign it so that it cannot be canceled or changed. It will be a law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But though, but though Daniel knew about it, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs bedroom with its windows open toward Jerusalem and prayed three times a day, just as he always had, giving thanks to his God. Then the men thronged to Daniel's house and found him praying there, asking favors of his God. They rushed back to the king and reminded him about his law. Haven't you signed a decree, they said, that permits no petition to any god or man except to you for 30 days, and anyone disobeying will be thrown to the lions? Yes, the king replied. It is the law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be altered or revoked. Then they told the king, that fellow Daniel, one of the Jewish captives, is paying no attention to you or your law. He's asking favors of his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was very angry with himself for signing the law, and he determined to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day trying to think of some way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men came again to the king and said, your majesty, there is nothing you can do. You signed the law and it cannot be changed. So at last the king gave the order for Daniel's arrest and he was taken to the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God whom you worship continually deliver you. And then they threw him in. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and that of his government so that no one could rescue Daniel from the lions. Then the king returned to his palace and went to bed without dinner. He refused his usual entertainment. He slept none at all that night. Very early the next morning, he hurried out to the lion's den and he called out in anguish, O Daniel, servant of the living God, 
Was your God, whom you worship continually, able to deliver you from the lion? Then he heard a voice. Your majesty, live forever. It was Daniel. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they cannot touch me, for I am innocent before God, nor, sir, have I wronged you. The king was beside himself with joy and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found on him because he believed in his God. Amen. May God bless to our inspiration this reading from his word. This past week I attended a board meeting. Most of the time when you attend any kind of board meeting, it is almost B-O-R-E-D instead of B-O-A-R-D. You, you go to these meetings and you listen. This time, however, I was not bored. I listened and was inspired. I was inspired because of an experience in the life of a man, a man whose life has been touched by God. I asked him yesterday on the phone if I could tell a little bit about this this morning, and he gave me his permission. I want to use it as an introduction to another life and to another man and the way in which God worked in him. The first man I wish to speak about is the settler of a, of a, of a large foundation. I went down to Palm Beach to his home to meet with other directors of his foundation. Jesus said it is harder for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And that's a very solemn thing to have said, and a very true thing, as all that he said is true. But I believe I saw one rich man who will make it through. The reason that I believe he'll make it through is that he, contrary to so many rich people, is very humble before God. When he opened the meeting, he opened it with prayer. It was not the balanced sentences and polished phrases of a careful speaker, but just the humbly, humble, quivering voice of a layman who blessed God that though he came into the world with little and never dreamed that he would be in a place where this much money would be under his supervision, that he needed the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And he blessed God for his salvation and prayed that the funds of the foundation which he had established would be used toward that end and that we would be directed in our deliberations. He concluded in Jesus' name. But when he finished praying, I found myself trying to keep back tears, I was so moved by the evident humility and sincerity of that prayer. He began by saying, let me tell you a little bit of my own personal history. He said, at the age of 13, my home was broken, and it was necessary for me to go to work to help support my mother. I went to work sweeping the floor in an automobile parts store, and I made $5 a week. I was 13 years old. 
I was never able to go back to school again. As it happened, he said, I moved to Atlanta, and as the automobile industry began to boom, the business in which I was in boomed with it. I found myself finally president of the company and chairman of the board, and finally in the possession of a big fortune. He said, for 30 years I attended church and I warmed a space in a pew, but I was not a Christian. I was a church member and an officer, but I was not a Christian. He said, seven years ago, I had an experience with God and I was born again through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he said, three years ago, something happened still further. A work of the Holy Spirit came into my life to lead me to desire a holier walk with God. He said this foundation has about 12, 9 to 12 million dollars in it. All that I have will go to it at my death. I want every penny of it spent for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want no buildings named in honor of me, no lectureships founded with my name upon them. But I want the glory of Jesus Christ. Then he said, there are many people who will help with cancer. There are many people who will help with tuberculosis and physical diseases. But the greatest malady in America today is the lack of salvation and people coming into a vital relationship with God. So, he said, I want the bulk of the Foundation's resources to be expended in an evangelistic effort to reach people for faith in Jesus Christ. I want the next largest percentage of it to be spent in the nurture and Christian growth of those who have made commitments. And I want the third part of it spent in the development of leadership and teaching responsibilities for those who are to communicate the Christian message. And then he closed the meeting after the deliberations with another prayer. His own life and what he had to say was a rebuke to me. I don't suppose any of us here have millions to give away, but all of us have some money under our control, and I wonder if we pray earnestly about the use of it as earnestly as this man prayed, and whether we seek to use it wisely or well. Well, his experience attracted attention not only because it is one of those rags-to-riches experiences, but because of a personal faith in God through Jesus Christ and a transformation that has taken place in his life. I have read to you this morning about Daniel, and I have thought about students who come here at the semester break and I have thought about this man in Florida's experience and what attracted and held everyone almost breathless while he related 
his own experience. And it was because it came from the life of a man and how God touched that life. I noticed in the report of his foundation that well over one half a million dollars has been spent in the last three years to reach high school students for faith in Jesus Christ. And it was because he was not reached at an early age. And our story about Daniel is the story of a life of a man who was touched early in life and who gave his life early to God. And the settler of this foundation's point is that if you can reach them early for, for God, you can save them from a long life of sin. And his point is well taken. If you take the trouble to read this remarkable book, you will find Daniel one of the most astonishingly beautiful characters in all of the Bible. I was once told by a Bible teacher that three men in the Old Testament about whom nothing evil is spoken and whose lives are given in some detail are Joseph and Samuel and Daniel. But I must confess that of the three, having studied them, I really come home to Daniel. Joseph loved to talk about himself dreams and his coat of many colors and he aroused jealousy because of this. Samuel was so much away from home that his boys got into sin and he closed his eyes to it. But when you come to this man Daniel, there is a solitary splendor about his character that you do not find in any other character in the Old Testament. You learn from David's sins. You learn from Solomon's wisdom and his folly. But when you come to Daniel, you see a man who from the beginning in his youth is a young man of prayer and principle and a young man whose life is given over in duty and service to God. He did not have an easy time of it, this Daniel, for he was taken away, captive hundreds of miles away from his home, seeing his own nation destroyed and brought into rack and ruin. Many people would have said, well, it does no good to have faith in God. Look what's happened. Look at the tragedy that's befallen us. A heathen enemy has taken us. But Daniel did not say that. Daniel kept his faith in God. And when he got away into the ancient city of Babylon, and there they administered a sort of college boards test to see the aptitude of these Jewish youth. And he, along with three others, came out with very high board scores and great possibilities. They were checked out carefully and saw to be physical specimens, attractive, possessed of learning and social graces. 
Scholars tell us that Daniel may have been about 19 at this time. And so they were selected, the four of these youth, for a period of training. Training in the knowledge of the language of the people where they would now be living. Training in all of the sciences so that they would be counselors and advisors to government. And in order to keep them healthy, they were given a training table and certain rules to follow. They were to eat the same food that the king ate and drink of the wine from the king's table. And here we see right in the very beginning the establishment of this faith in God in relationship to the circumstances in which these young men found themselves. They came from a Hebrew tradition. They came from a tradition where God had given strict dietary laws and rules. And so when they brought before them the dainties from the king's table, the swine flesh or wine that had been offered to idols, these four youth had purposed in their heart under the leadership of Daniel that they would not defile themselves by partaking of this food that came from the king's table. The king's chamberlain who was in charge of training these youths came to them and tried to reason with Daniel. He said, don't you know that if the king comes and looks at you and you are not looking well fed and healthy, that my head will roll? You've got to go ahead and partake of the king's table. And Daniel said, no, you give us a trial period. Let us eat the simple fare that we've been eating. According to our religion, and you judge us in a number of days and see how we fare. And so the king's chamberlain thought that this was reasonable, and he did it. And when he saw Daniel and his friends again, he consented that they did uh, look that they were in good training. And so he permitted them to continue uh, under their religious principles. That's one test of faith. Someone has said that character is what a man is a thousand miles from home, and that's so true. That's so true. I'll never forget once in Houston, Texas, where I'd gone to be in a meeting. I stayed in a hotel, and I came down in the lobby to make a phone call to a friend to pick me up there at the hotel to go to the meeting. And it was one of those phone booths where there are stalls, and you can hear what the person next was saying, and I was trying to find a dime and in my usual unorganized way, I couldn't find anything. And, and I could hear this fellow talking who was in the, in the stall next to me. And he was calling a secretary. He was a salesman. And he had been in an office that morning. And he was calling a secretary to try to get a date with her. And I heard him say, you're married. And this didn't matter to him. And he was, all the time he was talking, he had, had the phone cradle like this. He was fiddling with his wedding ring, talking to him. He was slipping it off his hand. And I thought, boy, that's character, and character is what a man is a thousand miles from home. Character is what a man is when someone offers you a drink. You wouldn't think of drinking back there. Daniel didn't use the philosophy when in Babylon do as the Babylonians do. 
but he did as a child of God would do, and he maintained his integrity. John Newton, one of the members of our faculty, has a phrase that has stuck in my mind for all the years that I've heard him say it. He speaks about a certain holy stubbornness. And if you want to be kept from sin, that holy stubbornness will pay off. Daniel and his friends went through this test and they stuck. Their faith in God held them and it produced in them a character. Do you remember when one king wanted them to worship idols and they refused to worship an image? What the results were? You remember how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, though their names had been changed, their faith in God had not changed. And they were led before the king and told that they must worship a golden idol. Do you know what their words were? Their words were, King, we're not worried about giving you a straightforward answer. This is my paraphrase. They, they said, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. But if not, O king, be it known unto you, we will not bow down to you nor serve your idols. Now, do you see what's beautiful about that? The phrase, but if not, O king. Even if you throw me in the fiery furnace, and even if I am not delivered, I will not bow down and serve your gods. We live in this day in which people amalgamate their faith and dilute it to where it means nothing. But if you believe in God and if you believe in the Apostles' Creed and if you believe in Jesus Christ and his standard of morality, then stick to it. The other stuff will pass and fall away. But those who hold fast to God will develop in them a character, a character that will stand out. Character is what you are in the dark, what you are a thousand miles away from home. And here they stood the test of character. And Daniel stood the test of character before not only Nebuchadnezzar. He told Nebuchadnezzar he would go mad. I've seen rich people that I think are almost mad, and I've seen some that I believe really are. They can be tyrannical. People with great authority can go mad. Stalin went mad. Hitler was mad. And it takes great courage to go into their presence and tell them the truth. And yet Daniel could look at Nebuchadnezzar and tell him the truth about what was going to happen to him, that he would one day be eating grass out in the field like a cow. The dew would be upon his body that he would be mad. That took courage to tell your king that. Belshazzar. Another king under whom Daniel served. One night in drunken debauchery in his palace was visited by Daniel. And that's when the famous writing on the wall took place. And that's when Daniel spoke to all the lords and the ladies in that debauched feast. 
and said to the king straight to his face, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. If there is one note that is missing in the preaching in America today, it's the note of judgment. You seldom ever hear it. Christianity is just an elective. You can take it or you can leave it. You can obey Christ or you don't have to obey him. Nothing could be further from the truth. Sin has consequences for time and consequences for eternity. And the judgment of God is certain. And we will pay for our sins if we do not repent of them. The scriptures are plain about this. Jesus is plain about it. Paul is plain about it. The whole Bible is plain about it. And yet in our zest to be positive always in our preaching, we seem to have forgotten it. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. The Bible says be sure your sin will find you out. And it will. And Daniel preached judgment. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. He preached it to a despot who could have had his head lopped off on the spot. And then Daniel before Darius. The Bible scholars tell us that Daniel at this time in his life, in this passage I read a moment ago, must have been about 88 years old. You have seen him as a boy. You have seen him grow up and be faithful and serviceable. And now in advanced age. And that sixth chapter of Daniel is full of instruction. The king wished to make Daniel the person of senior authority over all of his empire. And this created jealousy. Jealousy can wreck a home. Jealousy can wreck a football team. Jealousy can wreck a school. And jealousy is one of the most damnable of all sins. Our Roman Catholic friends call it one of the seven deadly sins, and it truly is. It's vicious straight out of the pit of hell. Here, because Daniel is able to do his job and do it better than anyone else, there is jealousy evoked against him. And it is a great tribute to Daniel that the only thing that they can find to trip him up with in their tricks is to trick him in the matter of his religion. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the one place where someone could trip you up would be your faith in Jesus Christ and your loyalty to God so that they would have to set a trap in that direction. Well, here this mean little jealous spirit of these people who are there who wish to trap Daniel devised this decree. Whereas others were told to worship a golden idol, here no one is permitted to ask a request even of God. They've got to go to the king and ask the request of him. This appeal to the king's vanity, he fell for it. He signed the decree that it would not be altered according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. And then after he had signed the decree, Daniel although he knew about the decree, did as his custom was. He opened his windows toward Jerusalem 
as he had ever since he was a young boy and had been led away captive and he looked off in the far distance and he thought about the glory of God that had once been amongst his people there. And he offered up his thanks and praise to God. Now Daniel did not go there just to defy what the king had said. But Daniel did as his custom was. This was his usual custom and so he carried it out. He had been praying all of his life from boyhood. He had no intention of stopping now. The window was open and they saw they had him trapped. They went back to the king with their little plot. And they said, you signed this decree, didn't you, king? And he said, yes. And they said, well, this Jewish person, Daniel, has violated your commandment and he's been prayed. And they had him trapped. They were going to throw him then to the lions. What a wonderful thing. Now don't forget this. Not to pray is more dangerous than lions. Not to pray is more dangerous than lions. Daniel was more afraid of not praying than he was of lions. The thing that impressed me the most about that man that I began telling you about this morning is the fact that I've seen, I've known that man now for six or seven years. And I have seen him grow because of prayer. I have seen him grow in his faith in Jesus Christ to the point that he will talk to other people about faith in Christ. I have seen him become humble under the presence of God. And Daniel, when is his custom, was to pray. In the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, there is, an there is a great vision revealed to Daniel. And in this wonderful 10th chapter in the 19th verse, an angel says to Daniel, O man greatly beloved, fear not. Why? He was in the presence of God and he trembled as all people who come into the presence of God sense their sins and tremble in fear. So did Daniel. But the angel said, Fear not, peace be unto thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. When he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened. Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. Here is an experience with God that Daniel had. That prayer, that continuous prayer, and that faithfulness to his religious principle, how it kept him. So now they take him and they throw him into the den of lions. When I was a little boy, I, this used to be my favorite sermon to hear a preacher on. Out in Texas, we had a very colorful old cowboy, Krim. <laughs> he was some preacher. He said the lions didn't eat Daniel because he was all backbone. <laughs> and there was a lot of truth in what he said. If you develop what I have talked about here, if you develop this faith in God and this character based upon that faith, 
then the fruit of that will be service. The lions didn't eat Daniel. God sent an angel. Now, I used to always be bothered by these pictures of angels with these white wings. Every Christmas, that bothers me. Uh, there's nothing in the Bible that says that angels have wings. And those silly pictures, if angels did have wings, they'd have to have enormous breast muscles to flap them. Uh, uh, and uh, they're, they're no, and then they always got all kind of wings. Angels always have feathered wings, not skin wings like bats. Uh, they are from the devil, so they got skin. Uh, get that picture out of your mind. An angel was a messenger from God. A messenger from God. And here an angel of God comes and stops the mouths of these lions and Daniel is delivered and the king who had not slept that night because of his dumb decree uh, comes back to Daniel and has him delivered at that point. And the faithfulness of this man is meant to teach us that faithfulness. The book of Daniel is wonderful. There are prophecies here that are yet to be fulfilled. There are great visions and experiences with God. But to me, the noblest thing in the book of Daniel is Daniel himself and God speaking to this man. This is a noble and beautiful thing, this character of this Daniel. You can say, how do we become like Daniel? How do we know him? If ever a word in hymn or prayer, if ever a sermon has been to you the opening of a window towards heaven or a window towards Jerusalem, if ever a memory of home, if ever one's, someone's trust and affection, if ever a vision of a green hill far away with a cross upon it has touched your heart, that's the secret of the character of Daniel because that can beckon you to surrender your life to God in a life of humble devotion to him. And you know one wonderful thing about this. Humility will guard you against the sin of defecting on your faith. Humility will guard you against such jealousy as we saw that caused this plot here. And humility will get you into the kingdom of heaven because you recognize your need and you find in Jesus Christ all the provision for that need. When I think of Daniel, I think of Paul and how Christ met him on that road to Damascus and how that little Jew was transformed that day when he fell on his face before the Christ of the Damascus road and then said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? From that comes service, the greatest service you can do to your country, the greatest service you can do to your church, the greatest service you can do to your job will be reflected in your faith in God and the character that that faith develops and the subsequent service that will issue from it. This is the message to me of the book of Daniel. It's a message of salvation and there is still much yet to come in the unfolding of God's plan.
And that offer of salvation is made available to everyone here. And if we look back over our life and we can say, I've tried and I've failed. I remember that little song in Sunday school, does Jesus care when I've tried and failed? Yes, he cares. He cares and he loves you. And he can make you strong. He took that fickle fisherman named Peter, always vacillating and changing, and turned him into rock and made him strong. What he has done through these men and women who were flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone, he can do in each one of us if we are willing to yield ourselves to him in that faith and in that character and in that service that will be for the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Let us stand in prayer. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we bless you for your servant, Daniel. We thank you for the beauty of his life, for the hard work and the service that, we, that he gave, and for his devotion and steadfast faith in thee. We who have been the recipients of so much more than Daniel had to go on, we who have known about Calvary, and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in the presence of the Holy Spirit here striving with our souls will have a far greater account to give to thee if we have failed to make use of these means of grace. Therefore, we pray that you will search our hearts this day and awaken to us the joy and the dignity that may come to us as we live up to our sense of responsibility before thee day by day. Hear us, O God, as we plead forgiveness for past failures. Hear us, O God, as we ask for energy and vision for the future. And take us out of this church today, determined that our faith in Jesus shall remain strong and that we shall allow the Holy Spirit to mold our character and that we shall be instruments of service and love in thy gracious hand. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and guide, be and abide with you all now and forevermore.